بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم افتح لنا فتحا مبينا وارزقنا رزقا مباركا كريما اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته to see everyone, alhamdulillah. I have a lot of hugs that I owe a lot of people. <laughs> inshallah, after the, inshallah, halqa. We'll do the hugging and the talking, inshallah. <laughs> and the reflecting is nothing like ICCP. I mean, I have to go across earth to tell you this? I don't know. <laughs> inshallah, really incredible Allah community. And uh, I always say, you know, you appreciate something when you're far from it. And uh, but alhamdulillah. I, I was blessed to be in a beautiful journey and Allah Azza wa facilitates for us to learn and, and uh, in, you know, experience encounters that really teach you so much. And Alhamdulillah, this trip that I took for uh, the past month was one of those trips. Um, Alhamdulillah, so we'll have time to even reflect on that. Um, but it took me from, you know, subhanAllah, to a few destinations that really put me in touch with incredible history of Islam from, you know, uh, Europe um, to the Holy Land in Palestine, alhamdulillah, I haven't seen it since I was a little baby. And uh, my family descends from there. I never got to live there, but I visited once when I was a child. I'll never forget the experience. My parents are here, so I really didn't have a motive to go back. It's not easy. But subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, the intention was set a couple of years, actually more than two years ago, to take my children back and my family just uh, connect. <coughs> alhamdulillah, the connection happened. So inshallah, we'll have more time to reflect on this. Um, I did have uh, the opportunity to share some of those experiences in Khutbat al Jum'ah. But there's a lot more, inshallah, because, you know, the Holy Land um, represents far more for the, for the Ummah and for all of us. And even for passing on this legacy and connection to our children and how do we do this and what lessons do we learn. I had an opportunity to also speak with so many, subhanAllah, Muslims of all backgrounds and, and also connect with people who are within, you know, in, who are in the midst of struggle. Right, and get their perspective on things. And subhanAllah, I have even some messages from some extraordinary people that I've, that I've met. Because uh, I was trying to just listen, you know, and learn. And alhamdulillah, so it was a blessed trip, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. But nothing like coming back home and being with family. And this is our family, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. So inshallah, we'll, uh, the intention is I'll do inshallah Surah Al-Qasas. And then we'll open the floor for a discussion. And please feel free to, inshallah, uh, make comments or ask questions about Surah Al-Qasas or ask me a question even about my trip to Palestine and, and Jerusalem and what I've seen there, uh, what I've learned. Alhamdulillah, I'll be more than happy to discuss that as well, inshallah. 
in that section. So let's inshallah get right into it. In the name of Allah Azza wa Jal in these blessed days of the Hijjah. Just keep that in mind during the days of the Hijjah. Uh, this is the third day. Truly blessed days, rivaling those of Ramadan. Um, and um, singled out as days that can bring us back to Allah So even studying the Quran in those days is, is an especially noble act. Any act, the Prophet says, any act you do in these 10 days of the Hijjah, culminating um, in you know, the day of Arafah and then Eid next Sunday, inshallah, any good deed you do now is not like any, like the deed done outside of those days. Because Allah Azza is generous and He wants us to get back and feel that faith again and, and feel that gratitude for Allah and feel that sense of awe of Allah Azza We need Allah Azza So these days are given as a gift for that. So amongst those acts, not just, you know, Prophet spoke of remembering Allah Azza of magnifying Him. That's why we did what we did after Salah. You know, it's called Takbir Muqayyad, limited restricted Takbir, which you do after Salahs at a minimum. Right? You do those, you know, the takbirs and the tahmids, the la ilaha illallah, alhamdulillah, and, and Allahu Akbar, after each salah, at a minimum in those 10 days. More is to go out and even, and subhanAllah, when you're walking and, 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 and sitting in your car and, and just chilling out, or working to do those takbirs and tahmids and tahmids, they have an impact on your heart. Because when you utter the magnifications of Allah over and over, your heart starts to mirror that meaning. That's how faith, you know, gets fortified in the heart. You know, when you speak of strengthening faith, all you have to do is just repeat these certain mantras, these remembrance of Allah over and over and over, and they start to produce an impact on your heart. So we're supposed to do this. But the Prophet spoke of other deeds, as far as your imagination can go with good deeds of Allah, not just devotional ritual acts, but any yeah. act of charity, of kindness, of goodness, so how about studying the Qur'an and the word of Allah? So make that your intention. That, Ya Allah, I'm sitting here in those glorified days that you have declared as noble in the Qur'an, as exalted, where your servants come closer and closer to you. Ya Allah, count me among those and count this time in which I am sitting, where you brought me with my community to study your word as one of those acts that please you. Allahumma amin. May Allah Azzawajal grant us that blessing and the reward of studying the Qur'an this morning and reflecting on his word. And may Allah make it a means, inshallah, of pleasing Him. And may Allah make it a means of healing our hearts and souls. Today, inshallah, we have a surah. It is, a, you know, again, an extraordinary surah of the Qur'an. Uh, surah Al-Qasas, the story, or sometimes translated as the stories, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, comprises one story, actually, within it. What other surah in the Qur'an has one story? And only one story, Surah Yusuf. There's his is another story, but it's not entitled Musa, right? It's Al Qasas. And you notice the word Qasas repeating over and over in the Quran. And who is the, you know, the initial recipient of the word of Allah? Prophet Muhammad. So here's Allah telling him, You need this qissa. You need this story. Yusuf, you need this story of Yusuf. You know, Nuh, you need the story of Nuh. Why? The Prophet ultimately, this surah reminds us of fundamental lessons. We're all going through our journeys. And we need to make a stop in those journeys to heal our hearts and gain the provision we need to make sense of what is happening. Because we're human beings, fragile, 
weak, we go through pain, we go through grief, we go through fear. Lots of fear. Lots of tears in life. And a lot of our suffering emanates from what? Not understanding why things happen. Isn't it true? Suffering of the heart, pain is magnified when we do not understand why things are happening. And it frustrates us, it makes things bitter, and it magnifies the pain, and, and, and prolongs the tears, and makes us suffer extra. That's, that's the problem with suffering in general, not understanding. The recipient of these words is Prophet Muhammad and guess what, he too is a human being, and this sort of reminds us of this. He's a human being. Prophet of Allah, commissioned by Allah to carry this extraordinary message, he didn't choose that. It was gift of Allah to him. Gift of Allah to him. Nonetheless, Allah reminds him, you are a human being who is going through pain, grief, fear, right? Who, who is burdened, who has to make sense of reality, who can be uncertain at times, who's also asking, who doesn't understand what's going on, nor does he understand the future, also cannot understand why things are happening in the way they, they are. He doesn't. And it's causing him a burden. And it's causing him uh, uh, a sense of uh, feeling overwhelmed at times when, when people are not listening. And they're causing him harm. When he sees people around him being persecuted, all these questions are heavy on him. So he's a human being. So how does Allah heal him? We've said this over and over through what's called qasas. Qasas in, in, in Arabic is a beautiful word. We translate it as story, but you know what the word qassa means in Arabic? Qassa means story. Right. So that is the literal translation of the word. Linguistically, qassa means to retrace. So say, I say, you know, let, let, let me qass to you something. Let me take you back and retrace the steps with you back in time. Literally that you look at the footsteps of someone and, and trace them back. So what is Qissa ultimately? It's about actually paying attention to a story, retracing the steps to extract what? The lessons <coughs> and understand the insights that you can now grab so that you can inform yourself about how to move forward and how to understand your own reality. So Allah Azza wa presents to us a powerful, timeless lesson in the Qur'an. You need to understand the past for you to understand where you are and where you're headed. Tragic when we are unplugged from our history. History ultimately is written by victors anyway, right? So imagine when they're telling you the narrative and you're clueless about it. History is being rewritten over and over and over. Tragic when our, not only us, our children are so unplugged from history. So unplugged and so detached. And I'm telling you, identities are formed based on understanding history. Insights, wisdom is gained. Look at the path. Allah says, look at the path of civilizations. Are you not seeing a pattern? Are you not seeing universal laws that Allah has installed that govern how things run? Are you seeing this ultimate hand that is also moving things? Or are you looking at it as a, at a micro level? There are two ways to look at the events, even right now. Look at the political event, the economic event, the social reality that we're in, the cultural reality, the struggles within family, the suffering, the persecution, the confusion, the inundation with problems of life. Too much to take. 
There are two ways to, to, to uh, understand issues. There's the micro view and there's a macro view. Micro view is when you're occupied with the details. And what happens when we look at just our problems without context? We get frustrated and overwhelmed. We become angry and we lose hope. What Allah says is take a step back and look at the context of everything. Take a macro view, a bird's view of everything. But bird's view demands what? You look back where? In time. See that? Because nobody knows the future. Future is in the hands of Allah. When we lose Allah in the picture, we get a misinterpretation of everything. And misinterpreting our lives breeds frustration and hopelessness. Despair, and it magnifies the grief and the suffering. Prophet Muhammad was going through that journey. Difficult, tough journey of life. Path of struggle and trauma because he was commissioned with something big, right? And he needed answers. So Allah <laughs> would heal him by what? Taking him back in time to tell him powerful stories that sometimes parallel exactly his own life. And there's no story in the Quran that parallels the life of Prophet Muhammad in its circumstances, in its conditions, in its ups, in its downs, like the story of who? Prophet Musa the most mentioned Prophet in the Quran. And this surah in particular dedicates itself to the life of Musa to draw for the Prophet and lay down for him and all of us in our own journeys the powerful lessons, the timeless, priceless lessons and insight you and I need to be endowed with the provision, with the insight, with the wisdom, with the strength to keep going in our path and fulfill our mission. If we don't, we're going to, to stumble and we're going to you know, burden ourselves and burden others around us. So it's essential to understand this. Essential to see that light within the darkness that we have. And there is no light like the Quran. So the Prophet needed to hear. And he remember, he wasn't present in the life of Musa, was he? He wasn't there in the time of Isa. He wasn't there in the time of Nuh. He wasn't there in the time of Yusuf and Yaqub and Maryam. Allah told him, captured for him the precise, complete narrative that draws attention to the, to the lessons he needed to learn. And left out the details he didn't need to learn, right? Because he's a one, he was a man on a mission. This sort of ultimately, and inshallah we'll dig right into it, captures, as I said, presents, tells the story of Musa السلام, and, and draws the attention of Prophet Muhammad and all of us that it was a long journey, just as all of us. That the journey itself is long and fraught with difficulties and pain and struggles that at times look illogical look like there is no end to them. Story that tells, that speaks of suffering and persecution of the Israelites, right? And of Musa himself, right, when he was born, and the randomness of everything. And where at times it looked as if there is no door open. It speaks of incredible reunification of a family. It speaks of encounters that, that essentially provided a, a way out for Prophet, for Prophet Musa السلام. It spoke of a confrontation with the ultimate tyrant of all times, Fir'aun, and the end of this. It put the Prophet into the, the beginning of the story, it gave him that macro view, 
It put him in its midst and it put him at the end to see the ultimate end of what happens. To remind him, your beginnings are the same, your journey is the same, the details might be different, and the ends are the same. No matter what you think and no matter what others think. What are those key lessons that Allah highlighted in the surah? Um. Allah ultimately highlighted that this journey has to be hard. It's a path full of trials. That those trials are not random. That behind them is the ultimate, absolute, perfect wisdom of Allah that guides everything. That all the events that happened in the life of Prophet Muhammad and the life of Musa Prophet Musa were not random. They were perfectly arranged by the wisdom of Allah But not only his wisdom, but also his perfect mercy and his perfect wood. Telling the Prophet when you're not paying attention to the perfect wisdom of Allah as you try to interpret what is happening in your life and the lives of others and all of earth, you're not paying attention to the fact that Allah has these perfect attributes, perfect wisdom, perfect mercy, that he sees things you don't see, that he understands things you do not understand, that he arranges and perfects things and arranges the details of your life in a way that takes into account the hereafter. We don't do that. That he has, you know, Allah's calculating based on taking into account the circumstances of all of life and all the communities and all human beings and all things. We can't do that. So we fail when we, mis when we calculate things. Because we're looking at all our own tiny lives and we misjudge what is good and what is bad. Allah's definition of good and bad is not your definition of my definition. This story speaks of this. This story speaks of how Allah, throughout this journey of trial, because He's wadud, He's perfectly affectionate, perfectly loving, perfectly merciful, will not abandon you. Even when we do not see this, that the hand of Allah is constantly, not just arranging the circumstances, even if they look tough, they're there for a great purpose that transcends our life. But that Allah will equip you when you turn to Him with what? Faith patience, strength, provision to endure. Not only to endure, for you to also become a source of life for others. SubhanAllah. Allah Azza highlights this in the story of Musa. And he reminds the Prophet he says, look at the life of Musa from the moment he was born and how Allah took care of him. It was at a time when Fir'aun was, you know, has already issued a, 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 you know, an order to Kill all the children of Israel. No one left because it was threatened. Because of a prophecy that spoke of a child emerging out of the Israelites, growing up to ultimately take out Fir'aun. And he was like, no, I'm not dealing with that, right? So what's the solution? I'm not going to go prosecute each child. I'm going to kill all the children. Get rid of the problem. That's the type of person that he was. So imagine growing up, growing up in this. And Allah spoke, speaks of him being born into that struggle. We don't want struggle. Nobody wants struggle in life, right? But we cannot avoid it. Labor was introduced into the womb of a mother. It's called labor when she delivers. Labor. We use that term. Allah chose for you and me to be born into that. Why? Why the crying and why the labor? To understand that this is the path of life. You're going to come out of it with labor. Allah doesn't abandon you, right? Allah took care of Musa. To care of his mother when she was frantic, and he speaks of this episode when she was frantic and her heart was voided of even hope as she was scrambling to save her own baby. 
And what does she do? Allah firms her up. And he's telling the Prophet he's saying, I'll firm you up. I'll strengthen your heart to make you understand what to do. When you tear to me, and he, and he strengthened the heart of that mother, that desperate mother, so that she can now imagine right, unthinkable solution. He inspired her to put the child in a basket and put him in a river. Literally like putting him on a path to death. But why would the mother do this? Inspiration from Allah. Seems illogical, but it was a journey. Allah was preparing Musa for a journey and his eyes were all over him. He's taking care of him in ways that are not perceptible to us. Imagine trusting Allah in that, right? Trusting the calculations of Allah through the illness, through the lack of provision sometimes, through the difficulties that it's the calculation of Allah. Bigger than our calculation. This is the mind of Allah, not your mind and my mind, right? Can you imagine that? And he's shown Prophet Muhammad this. Into now him being cared for in the house of who? He was taken by the people of Pharaoh, his own, his own family. Who would have ordained that? Who would have arranged the circumstances for the river to throw him onto the banks of a home and that home belongs to Pharaoh? That he would be raised in the house of the tyrant that was threatened by all the children of Israelites and the child that gets saved is Musa. And what would he be saved? In the house of Pharaoh, in the lion's den. Who could have arranged that? Number Allah. Miracles. And he would grow up in that household for some 30 years. Cared for by the family again of the tyrant that he was sent to defeat. And this tyrant is fooled despite what he thought was intelligence that he had. That he would raise the child that would ultimately overcome him. SubhanAllah. That's, an, that's a calculation of Allah to show us the weakness of the tyrants that appear to be you know, insurmountable. They're ultimately servants of Allah. Oh, weak. Cannot see. Right? And then ultimately into Musa killing that man from the, from the people of Fir'aun. Right? The Egyptian. Because he saw that confrontation or that you know, a fight that occurred between a man that belonged to the Israelites and a man that belongs to the, to the, the Egyptians and the, 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 the friend of Musa or the person from the Israelites sought the help of Musa and Musa struck or pushed, just pushed, merely pushed the other man, the Egyptian, and he, and he died. It was an accidental death. And then, and then learned the news that they're sending a whole army to capture him and kill him. Who arranged that? And Allah is asking this, this question in this surah. Allah. Allah arranged that as well. Right? Into ultimately now Musa leaving Egypt and where would he go? Where would you go? You're, you, you need an escape. Right? An army is out to get you and capture and kill you. He had no idea. Look at the cluelessness that he had. And Allah reminds us in this surah, we're all clueless. We don't know what to do. There are many difficult, intractable problems. We have no idea how to approach them. You know what he said? And you're going to see this theme repeated over and over in the surah. He kept turning back to Allah. Ya Allah, guide me. Ya Allah, inspire me. Ya Allah, gave me that level path that would take me to my destination. Because I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm a weak human being. Where would I go in this vast desert? Where should my first step be? Imagine a vast desert. You have no idea where to turn. And he says, Ya Allah, grant me the best path. 
and he put his foot on a path that takes him to Medya. To Medya, right? A distant land where he would find a destiny. Of what? A family that would take him in. Shu'ayb's family, right? And he would marry from his daughters. Subhanallah. And for 10 years, Allah will provide for him to prepare him for what? For prophethood. Did he know this? No clue. And then Allah would put the motive in Musa to return back to Egypt. Who put that desire in him? Allah. When Allah wants to execute something, he actually not only introduces you to the circumstances, but also gives you the means and the motives to do the things that he wants you to do. He's not flickering in the heart. And Musa was on his way back. He had no idea he's going to be on an encounter with what? What does he see in that desert on his way back? A fire and a tree. And then he hears what? The voice of who? Allah himself telling him, you are prophets. Subhanallah. In the honor of I am Allah talking to you. Can you imagine? All that has happened in his life for over 40 years was the preparation for this encounter with Allah. For him to be made a prophet. Every single thing, every single episode of suffering, separation from his family, being raised in the house of Fir'aun, even killing that man was a preparation for him to become a prophet of Allah, to be ready for what? The encounter on this earth with Fir'aun. You have to be prepared. And the journey is a journey of preparation through ways that are mysterious. And he would indeed go back after Allah shows him miracles that he can now be equipped with to show Fir'aun because he needed to be strengthened. And guess what? Throughout this journey, Allah emphasizes that Musa was afraid. Over and over and he was afraid. Fear will never leave us. Fear is not knowing what's going to happen to us. And Allah addresses fear in this surah. Calm down. Allah is in charge. Calm down. Allah is around you. Pay attention to who is the caretaker of the heavens and the earth, and you'll be chilling. You'll be chilling. SubhanAllah. It's only when we forget who Allah is, or we forget that Allah is taking care of everything, that we become afraid. And there is no better hand to take care of things than the hand of Allah. That's where trust comes in. But, you know, Musa goes back and ultimately has this encounter with Fir'aun, and we know the end. So Allah highlights, amongst the other lessons in the surah, Highlights the ultimate end of the Quran. <coughs> and those who are heedless, and those who spread corruption, and those who are driven by a desire for dominance and a desire for greed. So Allah is telling Musa, telling Prophet Muhammad, pay attention, because when you're going through a path of struggle, sometimes you, you think, look at all these forces of corruption. They're, they're really like have their way. What is going to change this? How often do we have that question, right? Forces of injustice. When is the tide going to turn, right? When are they going to pay further and you know see the consequences of their evil? We always ask these questions, even on an individual level. When we have you know issues with other people that have wronged us, we always question where things are headed, and how come such and such is not happening fast enough? Allah says it is intended to be a long path. Things that don't, don't just happen. But he says in this surah, look at what happened with Fir'aun and Qarun. And the, and the figure of Qarun is mentioned in this surah. It was also a symbol of corruption and, and what? Greed. And he was very wealthy. And, 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 he, and he sought corruption in the land through his own power and wealth. Allah says, look at what I did to him and Fir'aun. Totally gone. Destroyed. Qarun was swallowed by earth. In his own home. Allah opened earth and it, it, it swallowed him. 
This is, do you see what's happening? That's a macro view. The ultimate end for the corrupt and the unjust is destruction. So Allah says, He says, look at what happened to them, but also look at their reputation. Does anybody you know, mention Fir'aun favorably in this earth? He says, they're followed constantly, their story on this earth with a curse. People curse them, isn't it true? Throughout time. You notice the corrupt and the unjust, what happens to them? So Allah says, look at their, they thought they have dominated the land, they did what they did. Not only were they, did they end, and now they, they lost their hereafter completely, they're in the hellfire. But also on earth, they earned the reputation of being cursed all the time. They were, they were, they were disgraced, right? And that is an awful consequence. That Allah says their end is that in the hereafter. So they're cursed here. They're hated by everyone. They're disgraced by everyone. They're done. They're dead. And in the akhirah, in the hereafter, they're amongst what's called maqbuhin. Maqbuh is somebody who's ugly, made ugly. Ugly in their looks, ugly in their ends. They cannot win. Their ends are not with them. And Allah says the end is always with those people that looked weak. That look like subhanAllah, the good, the righteous, those who struggle. The end is always with them, no matter what anybody else says. Allah says this, all of this to who? Prophet Muhammad hang in there. The path is long, but Allah is there. And this is represented in the story of Musa. We'll comment, inshallah, on some verses in it and wrap up. But I want to actually go back, backward and highlight for you, because this is the methodology of the surahs and the Quran. It tells you the story. And then it highlights the ultimate lessons you need to pay attention to. Because this story, Qissa, is retracing the steps to pay attention to the essential details to extract the main lessons. So what are the main lessons and what is the promise of Allah to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? He says in verse 85, here is his promise to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and to everyone who believes in Allah. He says, that's it. He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the Prophet, the one who mandated was giving you this Quran. Because this Quran is not random, it's a gift of Allah. Right? It is, it is, it is a it is a given to you as a tool, divine tool, to carry out and execute this mission to guide humanity to Allah. It's not a joke. Allah is the one who's going to take care of this mission. Say the, he says, the one who mandated this Qur'an on you shall return shall return you back to what's called ma'ad. Right? Ma'ad originates from the word ada. Ada in Arabic is what? Return back home. Right? Returns back to a place that he was there in the beginning at. Right? The Prophet, remember, he left, he was he was pushed out of Mecca, right? He, you know, he subhanAllah, he was stripped of his of his of his of his possessions, of his community, of his homeland. Allah says, I'm gonna bring you back home. I'm gonna execute and fulfill the promises that I've given you. You shall emerge victorious. Who's promising this? Allah Azza Meaning that Allah ultimately tells them, I'm gonna bring you back. Look at the story of Musa. What happens to Musa? He brought him back home. But he didn't just come back home disgraced. No, he came back home what? Triumphant. Saved the whole nation. Saved the whole nation. Difficult? 
when you're going through it and you don't see it, that's the ultimate end that Allah Azza wa Jal promises. So what does he tell him not to do? One of the key, some of the key lessons in this surah is, okay, so how do I actually ultimately witness the fulfillment of this promise? Because it's not guaranteed, by the way, that it will be given if we didn't fulfill the conditions. What are those conditions? Allah Azza wa says in verse 87, he, he sums up those key lessons for Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the essential things that he needed to do. He tells him in verse 87, uh, actually, excuse me, 86. <laughs> Number one, he says to him, under no circumstance should you be given support or help to who? The corrupt, the deviant. Meaning what? No matter what happens in this path, for you to witness the fulfillment of Allah's promise for you, for Allah to, to, to get Allah's care for you and His guidance. And to make it in this world and the hereafter. Under no circumstance should you do what? If nothing else, support who? The corrupt and the unjust. It's like actually a scary verse. That Don't you ever, ever give them support. And we, don't we see that? How often do we justify and rationalize giving support, aid, to those who are actually spreading mischief and corruption and we... We, we come up with all kinds of excuses for it. And we, we become really convinced that it's a moral thing to do. Right? And it's a domino effect. Allah says, under no circumstances, be careful. The one thing you cannot do is cross that red line. Because Allah does not tolerate the unjust. This surah says, the worst thing that can happen, the, the ultimate red line with Allah is what? Injustice. Corruption. Destruction on this earth. It's an amal. It's a trust. So when you witness those who are intentionally doing it, the one thing you cannot do is become an aid to them. Very simple. That's what he tells Prophet Muhammad Then he says, Don't let anyone distract you from the signs of Allah, the guidance of Allah, the book of Allah and his signs. Don't let, don't let anything be a distraction for you. And there will be people who will distract you. So don't do this. What's your mission? So I, I know what I shouldn't cross. I know who I should avoid so that they don't distract me. Or at least be careful of being distracted from this message by any source, any means. What else should I do? What's the action now? I know what to avoid, but what's the action? Call to Allah. Call to truth. Call to justice. Call to righteousness. Call to the moral things. You know, spread good. Don't just be neutral on this path. No, 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 no. Allah equipped us with incredible potential, opportunity, and gifts to offer things, to make this better. In the midst of all of this corruption, he says, Ud'u, turn it to Allah. Intention should be Allah. But it's not a path of being passive at all. It's not acceptable. It's proactive path of contribution to Allah carrying out his message into this earth. And then he says, don't be among those who take partners to Allah. And then he sums up the surah by saying, He says, don't call with Allah anyone else. Meaning, purify your attention. Make Allah your object. Allah will take care of you. Do these good things. Take these proactive steps. Then he says to him, 
reminds him of where everybody that he might turn to is going. كل شيء حالك. Every single, not just human being, every single thing perishes except the face of Allah. له الحكم. To him belongs judgment. You know, this is really powerful. You know, we love judging. We judge our own circumstances, but we love to judge who? Everyone else. We put everybody in our own court, right? You know what Allah reminds us in the Quran, and you see this in Surah Al-Fatiha? Maliki, Yawmiddin. This is the day of uh, paying back the debt. Is a day that is owned by who? <laughs> Allah. You know what else he says? In, he, what, what is meant by that verse as well? Allah is a judge, not you and me. Don't judge others. Don't leave them free before Allah. There is a judge who sees everything. He sees that which you don't see. He was aware and acquainted with all the circumstances. And Allah, alhamdulillah, that له الحكم. Alhamdulillah, that all judgment belongs to Allah. It, it, it includes, by the way, judging things when you're actually planning them. Like when I, I have to prepare meal, I have to judge things. I have to judge the amounts, what to put into the meal, how to do it. That's actually called judgment as well. But also judging ends and judging outcomes and judging people. All judging belongs to Allah. No one else knows like him. No one is as precise as him. No one is as perfect as him. No one is as merciful as him. Who is a better judge for everything? Allah says, leave it to me. But everything perishes and to me, you all return. Enough said. And this was the message to Prophet Muhammad We will revisit some of the verses from the beginning. Allah begins the surah by again telling the Prophet Right away he tells the Prophet after that short introduction that indeed these are the signs, the evident signs of Allah. And we're going to tell you, narrate for you the story, something from the story from the news of Musa and Fir'aun with truth. Meaning that this is a correct, accurate, truthful narrative that is meant to teach you lessons. Pay attention and open your ears. Then he says, what is the ultimate thing? Again, what is the red line of Allah? The one thing we, we got to just pay attention to and just avoid. What was the problem with Quran? It's declared in verse 4. The ultimate red line of Allah. Inna fir'awna ala fir'awna. Fir'aun sought what? Exaltation in the land. Dominance. That's the problem with Fir'aun and everybody who mimics Fir'aun. And we have Fir'aun, by the way, within our homes as well, right? Like Fir'aun is not just, Fir'aun is a, is a figure that represents a behavior. It can be done at a high political level and it can be done where? In a, in a relationship with a friend or a child or a spouse or a parent. Fir'auns are all over. Fir'aun didn't end. Fir'aun is a, is a, is a, is a representation of that, a pattern. So Allah says the problem with him that I will never tolerate is that he saw dominance and he exalted himself. He was so proud of himself. To the point where he made a claim that he is what? God himself. That's the ultimate, right? And how did that manifest? When someone is so arrogant, so driven by this desire or this self-infatuation that I'm better than everybody else, right? And I really, really am the ultimate. I'm the best, I'm the highest. How does that manifest in behavior? Typically, how do arrogant people behave? Are they like, mashallah, like, make us all feel great? They're always tapping on people, do you notice? They always take people, you know how they treat people? Look at all the tyrants. Nothing, trash. Literally trash. 
They consider them a burden and they use them as resources because they don't care for them. All they care is about me, 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 self-centeredness. There's a problem with self-centeredness. It means I don't care for your, I don't even know about your needs. You don't even have needs. It's my needs. You are a means for what? My own joy, my own wealth, my own power. That's it. So I'll use you as I want and I get treated with you as I want. So Allah says this person whose desire is dominance, who's haughty, who's arrogant, who's proud, what does he do on this earth? He's, he, he, he persecuted the people that he was in charge of and then divided them up, split them up to turn them to each other. They have wicked, evil means. Wicked, evil means of turning people onto each other because that busies people with up. Destructive things that ultimately destroy all of society. And then he says, You know what else he does? He kills their children. And he keeps their woman alive to witness the slaughter of their own children. Loss is only humanity. This is a key lesson, by the way. We're, Allah tells us in the Quran, we're, we're born, we're made perfectly by Allah, and we're given incredible potentials and inclinations to good. But we also have the capacity to become corrupt. And when you undertake a path of corruption and permit yourself to do so, you, you ultimately go to a point where you lose your humanity. When you see people right now torching people to death, burning them, enjoying, enjoying the process of beating a human being, laughing at it, what do you say about them? They're not human anymore. Because when you lose that sense, that empathy, that mercy, that you see someone crying in front of you, and you enjoy it, something is really defective in that human being. He's no longer a human being. That's what happened to Allah. He lost his humanity. And how many do we witness right now that have lost their humanity? Right? Behavior can take us there. Those who have become inhuman, once upon a time we're human, like you and me. So all of us have the capacity to what? Lose our humanity. And Allah draws our attention to this, showing us the behavior that ultimately manifests this, then Allah tells us in verse 5 what He wants. He has a promise. There are tyrants and corrupt and unjust figures that are spreading this mischief. They're arrogant and haughty and proud that don't care. They're not human anymore. There's the weak who are persecuted. So what does Allah want? What's His formula? He says, He says, but what we want. And we're going to execute is this. And this is like not logical, doesn't look like it's doable. But Allah declares His intention and what He's going to do. What is it that you're going to do, Ya Allah? He says, We want to give our favors for those who have been weakened, weakened and persecuted. The weak, we don't have the means. We're going to strengthen them. We're going to show them our favors. We're going to make them leaders. We're going to make them inherit the land. That's it. That's a heck of a promise, isn't it? When you're looking at the circumstances, you see, how is that going to be possible? Allah tells us the story of Musa as to how it's possible. Make sense? But it's a what? Long journey. We want results when? Now. Allah says it doesn't work that way. That's not your role. Don't worry about the outcomes. Do your part. And he taught Prophet Muhammad what to do at the end. Remember the lessons that I drew? He says, just don't cross the red lines. Don't aid the corrupt, call to Allah, spread good, and you shall see. And if you don't see it here, you'll see it where? In the next world. But it's done. 
done, Allah will strengthen the weak for sure. Persecute it. Even if they don't witness it themselves. When we allow to Allah, we shall strengthen them on this earth. And we shall see, as, as told in the story, we will see Fir'aun and Haman and their armies, every single thing they were admonished about. They shall witness it. And they shall see their own demise. And then Allah in verse 7 begins the story. And the story he captures, he begins with a verse that is really an intriguing verse. The verse says, Really a powerful verse. He's telling the Prophet of the story. He says, you see, this is what I want. These are the ends, right? Let's begin. So he says, and we've inspired, the story begins like this. When we've inspired the mother of Musa, that you shall suckle him, suckle him. And when you're afraid for him, then throw him into the river. And don't be afraid. And don't grieve. We promise you, we're going to return him back to you. And we're going to make him amongst the messengers. So the scholars looked at this verse and dissected it. And they said, this is an amazing verse. It includes two commands from Allah to the mother of Musa. It includes two prohibitions. Don't do this, don't do that. And it includes two promises. SubhanAllah. What are the two commands? What was the circumstance? We covered it. And we're not going to get into all the details, but remember, Pharaoh was executing all the children. Mothers learned about this. He's sending his army. They're spying to figure out is, where is any child of the Israelites, any home. And as soon as they find out there is a home with a child, they go and barge into the home, you know, execute the child. SubhanAllah. Mother Musa just delivered. She's frantic in an, in an absolute mess because her child, she can just lose him right now. So Allah issues two commands to her. What, is, what are the commands? Don't, don't worry, don't be busy with that. He tells her this. First, I want you to do number one function. What is it? Suckle him. It's your job. He said, suckle him. Say Bismillah and suckle him. Command number one. Command number two. What should I do? But I'm afraid. Allah addresses fear in the surah. The mother of Musa was afraid. Musa was afraid. Prophet Muhammad was afraid. We can't tell people to throw that fear out. But there is a way to heal that fear. So he tells her, when you're afraid for him, you are afraid for him. I know that. So I want you to do the second thing. The second thing after you're suckled him, is put him in a basket, throw him into the river. Illogical. But she was a believer in Allah. And Allah put that thought in her heart. Totally, not, total nonsense. It looked. But it was perfect sense. Because it was arranged by who? Allah. When you're under that circumstance, what's logical is to hide your child somewhere. Right? Maybe give him to your friend. But not to put him in the river. The river is a soldier of Allah. It's going to execute the command of Allah. So those are the two commands. She did them. Then he told her what not to do. He says, try to resist this. Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you and your child. And don't grieve. Why though? He gives her two promises. I'm going to bring him back to you. And I'm going to make him a prophet. The first promise, there are two promises here. The first promise, how long did it take for it to be fulfilled? Only a few days. Can you imagine? Few days the child was back. But how long did it take for Allah to fulfill the second promise for him to become a prophet? Some 40 years. So that's the, see how Allah does things? Sometimes He does things quickly. Sometimes things are going to take decades, centuries. That's a time of Allah. Just Allah, right? 
It's powerful. Then Allah tells us what happens next, and we, we cover this, how she put him into the river. She was, she was, she was devoid of hope in her heart, but nonetheless trust of Allah. And who would capture in the river? The soldier of Allah would steer that basket all the way to the house of Pharaoh. Gazillion homes on the river. But it had to land on the house of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Because the river was a soldier of Allah executing his commands. And he would be the one who would send the people out from the home to find that basket. And they would find that child, bring him into the home. And who would Allah send to look at that child and fall in love with him? Who? Asya, the famous Asya in the Quran, the blessed Asya amongst the people of Jannah, one of the best women that has, that has inhabited this earth that Allah speaks of in the Quran. Oof. Who controlled her heart? Allah. She would see this child who didn't necessarily possess any kind of necessarily the best of looks, right? But somehow Allah put in her heart, as soon as she looked at him, she fell in love with him. So Allah says, you see how I, I steer hearts? So your salvation and your children's salvation is not in our calculations. You never know who Allah will open for them, whose hearts will open for him. You know, subhanAllah, we're not going to live long on this earth. And we worry about our children. Allah says, don't be busy with worrying about them. Busy yourself with doing good deeds right now and being righteous. I'll take care of them. All it takes is for him to send a good person in their path. What about a good husband and a wife? You and I are going to guarantee this? Allah guarantees it. Allah says, do your part. I'll send them the right people. I'll give them the good children. I'll introduce people who can help them and assist them. But it, it rests on you and your righteousness right now. Not on you calculating everything for their future. You can't. And Allah did this for Musa. He sent them actually another mother. In those few days, and then for the next 30 years, who's going to mother him? Allah sent him a mother. Because there's no one who could put a love of a person in a heart except Allah. And no one would put a hate for a person in a heart except Allah. Right? I mean, we're the ones who hate. But if there's no liking for of someone, it's like there's nothing you can do. Allah can change hearts. And Allah softened her heart to fall in love so that he, she can protect him from who? The tyrant in the house. Because when the tyrant, Fir'am, found out, it's like, who's this guy? What is he doing here? What? I'm taking out all the children here, brought me a child into my home. And he wanted to take him out. What does Asya do? Mm-mm. You can't touch this kid. No way. And she won. And she raised him in that home. And then Allah did something else. He made this child not accept what? Drinking milk from anyone. That's it. Like, it's like throwing the milk out. No one could breastfeed him in the house. Why? Accident? So sickness is accident? Nope. Intended, calculated by Allah. Circumstances at what? Something else happens. He promised the mother, I'm going to bring him back to you. She sends her daughter, the sister of Musa, to find out what happened. And the sister of Musa would go and eavesdrop, and she heard that Musa was in that house. And then she asked the people in the house, and she found out from the servants that this child that we found cannot drink milk. What are we going to do? So she tells her mother, and then the, the girl is intelligent. She says, you know, I can tell you about a really good woman in the neighborhood. And she's really good with breastfeeding. Can we try that? And they said, please, because they love the child. Asya wanted this child. So guess what they brought? She says, go get that woman. And she went and got 
her mother into the house of Pharaoh. And the mother of Pharaoh, you know, Musa's mother found who in front of her? Musa. She just boomed into the river, in the river a few days before. Allah says, you see, I fulfilled my promise to you. He's back. So that I can now calm your heart and make it joyful. Because I'm not intending for you to be broken over your child. Make sense? So again, a fulfillment of this. And Allah goes on to tell us the rest of the story through this. How he now encounters or runs into that scuffle between the two, the two guys. And how he kills the, the Egyptian. And now how they're conspiring to kill Musa. Now how many years is that? 30 years later. He didn't tell us the details in, into what happened in that house for 30 years. It didn't matter. But here he's telling he's now an, an, an adult, a man, who has been raised by Asya, take, taken care of by Fir'aun, and Fir'aun knew he's from the Israelites. And then now when trouble happens, Fir'aun wanted to kill him. How dare you kill one of us, right? Sends an army out, and here's another key event, um, defining moment in the life of Musa that mimics our lives. When you're really afraid, and people are coming out to get you, what do you do? How do you think? How do you strategize? It's impossible. Allah speaking to us about impossible situations in our lives and fear that comes with them and what to do. So Allah tells, tells us, first of all, here's what Musa did, 16. First, he just did something bad, even though it was unintended. What's worse than killing a human being? Even if it's like, he didn't intend to kill him. He just pushed him and he was extra strong, big muscle. The guy fell and died. How do you deal with this? Psychologically, emotionally, can you sleep at night? Wow, I just killed a human being. You know, did you guys hear this uh, fight and boxing match where yeah. the guy was just kept getting hit and hit and hit and he just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't just stop the fight, wouldn't just give up. And now at the end he fell in the 11th round, I believe. What happened to him? Do you know, guys? He died. He died. I don't know what happened in his brain. The bleeding, major bleeding. Yeah, yeah. I think from the pressure, they tried to release the pressure. Didn't work. He died. Yeah. You know the guy who killed him unintentionally. It's a fight. Yeah. He wouldn't take the. He was traumatized. Yeah. He wouldn't take a dime from the from the from the, um, the from the prize. He couldn't. It's not an. It's not intended. It's a legitimate fight. It's, but imagine having to deal with. I just killed a man while fighting in a sport. Can you, so Musa was traumatized by this, but here's what he did. Because Allah shows us how he heals us. And how it's really simple with Allah. He says, Qala Rabbi inni nafsi li All he had to do is turn to Allah and acknowledge authentically his guilt and his wrongdoing. So he said to Allah, because he knew. He says, Ya Allah, I've wronged myself. So forgive me. So what happened? Allah forgave. So when Allah forgives, He doesn't just wipe it from your record, but He heals your heart. So Allah allowed Musa to be healed. How about you and me, brothers and sisters, and everybody else who does any mistake? If killing a human being was forgiven by Allah when it was unintentional, clearly, right? And He healed His heart. How about all the wrongs that we do? Allah tells us anything you do. Ask Allah, acknowledge it, be authentic and real about it, and see what Allah will do. That's a powerful event in the life of Musa. Then Musa was concerned and he understood that they are out to get him. So Allah tells us in verse 22, He made many du'as in this surah. 
And Allah shows us how in your journey you need to constantly turn to Allah and ask for help and trust Allah. In verse 21, he says this dua. قَالَ مِنَ So here you are, you're surrounded. So what do you do? He says, Ya Allah, save me from these oppressive, unjust people. And Allah delivers. And in verse 22, he wants to escape. He doesn't know where to go. He says, Rabbi, once again, قَالَ عَسَىٰ يَهْدِينَ رَبِّي سَوَاسَبِينَ Ya Allah, would you show me the level path that is best for me? I don't know where to go. And Allah, again, steered his footsteps to go to Medjian. You see his constant reliance on Allah happening. And then he would arrive at Medjian, another, another major event that we've heard of before. He arrives at this town as a stranger. He sees a bunch of shepherds around the well. And then he looks and he sees on a hill two, two women, young women. And they're keeping back their sheep. And he understood what was happening. What was happening? They couldn't go feed their sheep because of these rowdy men who were fighting over the water. What does he do? So you see throughout this surah what Allah demands of us in the midst of struggle. What, what can you do? You say, I, I'm going to mind my own business. I'm a stranger here. They're going to kill me here. I already escaped a country, a place where they're going to kill me. I shouldn't be seeking any more trouble. What do I do? Allah says, no matter what you're in, do the thing that you are supposed to do. What does he do? He gets up. He doesn't say, I'm tired. I just came, you know, through a whole desert. And, I'm ex and he is really exhausted, hungry, and thirsty. He gets up right away and goes to the two women. This is, it's haram. I can't talk to them. <laughs> it's a situation that demands my presence. I'm going to go up. And he's sincere and he's authentic. And he's not seeking trouble. He says, what is the problem? And they automatically answered him. They didn't run away. They didn't say, what's this man talking to me about? He looked real. He looked sincere. I'm going to answer him. But simple and to the point. They said, you know what? We couldn't feed our sheep because of these shepherds. And we're waiting for them to leave. And by the way, our father is an old man. So don't you have thoughts in your head. We're not here because we're like, want to be here. We're, we're helping our dad and he's there, right? Like, be careful. Right? What does he do? No talking. Takes things like, can I? And he takes the sheep. Chivalrous man. Did what he was supposed to. What can I do right now? I can help. Jamal, remember Jamal, Remember the article about how can I help? Like the three words. Jamal sent me an article a few weeks ago. Beautiful. Like he says, no matter what, in any situation, best advice. When you look at anybody, say, how can I help this person? That's it. How can I help this person? And your life will be transformed. And indeed, that's what he's like. How can I help you? Not how can I save myself? How can I, what can I do right now? I can, because of my strength, take these sheep and feed them. And he did. And brought them back to the girl, two girls who said, Salaam alaikum. So he helped. But was that it? Nope. He did something else. And I end with this, inshallah. He says next, Allah in verse 24, another powerful thing he did. He did what he was supposed to, which is doing a good deed, helping for the sake of Allah, not because I want something out of him. And he wasn't like, hey, check this out. You know who I am? You know where I came from? You know where I was raised? Blah, 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 blah. No, none of that. None of this. I'm here to help. I'm not here with ulterior motives because there are two girls and they're going to check them out, right? He goes back under the tree. No home, no family, no food, and turns to Allah and says what? Who knows the dua before I say it? One of the most amazing barakallah 
one of the most amazing du'as in the Quran. You want to be saved of life? Do a good deed, then they make this du'a. So here's what he says. So he fed them, watered the sheep, then he retreated into the shade, in verse 24, and he made this du'a, Rabbi, he turned to Allah once again. So he asked first, Ya Allah, save me from the oppressive people. Ya Allah, show me the path. And now the du'a after the good deed is, Rabbi, Ya Allah, my Lord, my nurturer, I am in desperate need. I'm poor and in need of any good from you. Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. That's it. He didn't even ask. He said, I'm just poor. I need any good from you. He's expecting of Allah. He has a good opinion of Allah. That's it. What happens? The two girls back go back home. It is said that their father was Shu'aib. Allah knows, right? They tell him the story. He's like, wow, an amazing man in a town of wicked people. Go grab him. He sends back one of the girls. Look at the trust of a father with a, with a, with a daughter. And they say, hmm, girl, can go back. No, I trust you. Go back. And she walked back. And she spoke to Musa. She said, my father wants to talk to you. And what does he say? Oh, I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm sorry. Like, you know, when we're extra shy, when somebody offers something, like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to do it. He's like, absolutely, I'll go, right? Allah opened the path. Let me go. And he joins her. They go back, and she was walking with bashfulness and shyness, modest walk. They both walk back, and he meets her father, and he tells him the story. And the father offers him what? He says, stay with me. I'll offer you a job. Ten, eight years minimum, if you want to do 10 years, even better. And I'll offer you one of my daughters as a wife. And by the way, there was a conversation between the father and the daughters. It wasn't like, I'm going to just marry you to her. She was interested, right? Because she, Allah tells us in the story, she spoke to her father. She says, oh, my father, hire him. He's a strong, trustworthy man. It's like, get him, right? And the father understood. It was not an arranged marriage from our understanding. No, no, no. It was based on our understanding that these two people liked each other. And he said, I'll marry her. And she married her. So what the commentators say is, subhanAllah, one good deed, coupled with a dua to Allah, turned him from a homeless man into a person with a shelter, job, a spouse, and a family for 10 years. 10 years, brothers and sisters. That's the plan of Allah. And then Allah goes on to tell us of how he returns back and has that encounter with Allah in the desert when he sees the fire. And he hears Allah telling him, Ya Musa, Inni ana rabbuk, I am your Lord. Take off your shoes and put your hand under your armpit and it'll turn white. Remember the signs? And throw your stick, it'll turn into a snake to equip him with strong miracles so that he can go back and do what? Confront Fir'aun because he was afraid. And despite the fact that he saw the miracles, he was still afraid. A human being. Make sense? No matter what, we're going to be afraid. And Allah continues to strengthen him until he has that confrontation with Fir'aun. Mm. And Fir'aun loses his mind. And then ultimately Allah tells us in this surah uh, how Fir'aun was ended, his life was ended when he was drowned. And how he also let the earth swallow Qarun, Korah, who is also another, as I said, significant figure, a symbol of corruption, greed, and wealth. Power, accumulation of wealth. It's not the wealth that is a problem. The accumulation of it and using it and, and being proud with it and arrogant and corrupting the earth with it. And he was warned. And people admired him. They said, oh, look at his good luck. I wish, we wish we had what he had. Until Allah 
literally opened the earth under his home and swallow, it swallowed the home in heaven. <clears throat> and then it closed. And everybody's like, oh shoot. No, 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 we're glad we're not him. Allah says, do you see the ends of these people? No matter what you think about them. And with that, inshallah, I'll, you know, I end, as I said in the beginning, the, the surah ends with these summary of lessons for Prophet Muhammad Don't be with the corrupt. Do your good deeds. Turn to Allah, call to Him. Busy yourself with this. And don't be afraid. Allah will equip you and will strengthen you and will console you and will give you the glad tidings. And you shall witness it, whether in this life or the hereafter. Uh, shall we open the floor for comments or questions? So I got a question. So when Quran was drowned, right? It says um, he asked, he, he became a believer that moment. Mm-hmm. So does it? Does, does, yeah. yeah. And then Allah says, "Oh, well, yeah. you're now you're a believer." Or, right. Right. So I just want to. Yeah. So so it, this is a it's a good question. So there's an you know there's a mention of this. Allah Azza knows hearts. That's the beauty of knowing Allah. I like knowing that Allah is Allah. He's perfect and He knows what a heart witnesses to or professes or doesn't profess, what it believes in or what it doesn't believe in. We know the history of Pharaoh. So, what, what is narrated is that in that moment after he was drowning, right, it's too late. He already saw like the end. Yeah. It's not like just he was realizing his mistakes on his own and just coming to terms with it and then honestly re- and, and is honestly and sincerely repenting he wasn't okay. he's just like oh, sure, i'm destroyed oh uh, no okay okay yeah yeah i acknowledge there's no god but god mm-hmm. too late not only this because you're ready you, you are not sincere about it does that make sense yeah. so it wasn't at a moment of sincerity that happened or even early enough even a minute before we, we, before he saw what he saw no, no, it was too late. And Allah has already rendered the judgment on him, you know, the, these, all these repeated warnings and admonitions. So it was at a moment where it was too late because he's already dying. Make sense? Yeah. So, and, and Allah also, when I highlight, he knew his heart. He knew whether that was sincere or not sincere, whether he's just saying, it, hey, say, Zach, yeah, yeah, I like you, man. Yeah, yeah. Right? Do you really like me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So only Allah can know. If it was a sincere heart, I'm sure Allah would have forgiven him. But Allah knows his heart. You're not saying it sincerely. Done. So that's the beauty of Allah judging. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for us to look at it and say, hey, wait a minute, is Allah being inconsistent here? Because we know that indeed, even with the last breath, if you repent Allah sincerely, you're safe. Yeah. But now Allah is the judge who knows that heart is sincere or not sincere. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was reading that was really interesting because like the next verse says we preserved your body right and then i started researching it and they actually found uh Ron's body it's actually in the museum there. Of, i Absolutely. was like by it. and i saw it yeah. it's amazing it's a miracle that it's mentioned in the quran that it was done and why did allah mentioned why for you to be seen as a sign yeah. it's like those who speak of quran can actually go see it. it's like oh shoot this man is like here he is and if you show that to people they don't believe after that yeah. nothing Exactly. It's just beautiful. So Allah does these things in extraordinary ways and preserves the science. And now, like, I got to, when I was in, uh, um, in Jordan, you see a lot of these remnants. Of, like, if you, uh, by the way, one of the wonders of the world, you should go see it if you can one day. Inshallah, it's Petra. Petra is 
I mean, it's talk about an untapped treasure um, south of uh, Jordan. It's a preserved like Roman Empire in front of your eyes. All the remnants, like it's incredibly beautiful, by the way, incredibly beautiful. I'm just saying, like you walk through these valleys. When I was in Jordan this time, we saw the place of where Shu'aib was even. It's called this, the, the Maqam of Shu'aib. You see even the Maqam of Harun later uh, south in, in Petra. There are all these beautiful remnants of where the people Lut was. And you see the, the remains and it's amazing. Allah's preserved these things in, in Arabia, the same thing. Remains of uh, all these nations are there for us to witness them and see them. They're not just a figment of our imagination, really. Oh, go ahead. Welcome back. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm going to go around a little bit. Uh, I think Brown, that was a strategy to stay in power. I think he was afraid of you know, killing boys. You know, get together. Uh, you know, if you have a society together, I guess they will overthrow him. So I think that's a strategy to stay in power. But my, my question is, uh, um, the surah goes back, prophet taking back to Musa and explain, you know, this is the example. I believe Islam started with the prophet, a religion with the prophet. That's when it started. So in my head, I'm saying Musa was what um, Ibrahim was what the, the Muslims. Uh, how do you how, how say do you, that again? Say the question again. Uh, my Islam started with the prophet, with revelation to the prophet. Right. So Musa is an example with everything mm. he went through. When he went to the, the, the mountain where he had the fire, he took up his shoes. That's the sacred ground. That's how we pray. We take up our shoes. So did Islam start there with Ibrahim building the house? Yeah. How do you how right. do you tie you know right. in together? So so with the question. Okay. So Islam started with Adam instead of Ibrahim. With the first human being. So Allah Azza wa what is the concept of Islam? Islam is submitting to Allah, surrendering to Allah and His will ultimately, and being in peace with that, right? That's what it really is. It's, it's, it's a, ultimately a concept and uh, rests on a deep, uh, deeply seated belief in Allah's oneness. That's what really Islam is. And then trusting that. You know, believing in, in theologically in the perfection of Allah Azza wa Jalla and understanding He's going to give us a path to be guided. That's really what Islam is. Right. Now, Allah Azza wa Jalla throughout time has given different prophets, all of, all of whom are Muslim, the message of Islam, so to speak, presented through different formal uh, uh, um, kind of systems of, 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 of commands and prohibitions for the people that they were sent to. Meaning that Allah has given a, a, a sharia, different sharias, different paths, different teachings, legal teachings right. to the different communities that these prophets were sent to. But they're all Muslim. Formally, it wasn't called Islam until like the, as a religion, until the time of Prophet Muhammad But the deen of Allah has always been Islam. So Musa was Muslim. Ibrahim was Muslim. Adam was Muslim. Noah was Muslim. Dawood was Muslim. All of them were Muslim. Now the names might have been different for the names of the religions at the time, but they're all Islam. Because Islam is a concept ultimately. It's not just so the formal title for the religion itself was given at the time of Prophet Muhammad. That's it. It's like a formalization of it. So it's a different sharia as well. And the sharia that came with us, which is really sharia means the path. 
right? The path of guidance that includes the commands of Allah, what, we're, what we ought to do, what we ought to avoid to get to our destination. This is the ultimate Sharia, the ultimate that came at the very end that Allah invited everyone to come to, essentially. That trumps all the previous Sharia's. All the Sharia's that were given, by the way, before were limited to that time and space. This Sharia, this path, this path of guidance, right, is timeless and until the, it's until, until the end of time. Make sense? Correct. Right. So we don't eliminate or cancel or disbelieve in what had in all the revelations that came before. They're all actually Islam, but they're formal Sharia's for the people that lived in that, in those times, in those spaces. Right. Does that make so, sense? Right. I yeah. know, right. I know all that in it. I know all that. But then people who live, who followed them at the time, because I heard Prophet could not be. Were they Muslim or not Muslim? Right. Prophet could not be a dua for his mother. No, yeah, absolutely. Good question, too. Absolutely Muslim. Allah Azzawajal, first of all, that's the beauty of Allah being the judge. Right? We're not judges. So imagine, so what happens to people who didn't see Prophet Muhammad What happens to people who didn't see him now? We don't see him. What happened to a person in an island who, has lived, who, who never heard of Prophet Muhammad not before him, right now? What does Allah do with them? And by the way, the father of Prophet Muhammad himself was a Kafir. Father of Prophet Muhammad was Mushrik. All the scholars are in agreement. He's, he's going to Jannah. Because he didn't see Prophet Muhammad so even a mushrik was in Jannah. Makes make sense? So how about people who follow the prophets? They're definitely Muslim. Absolutely. Because again, Islam is a concept. They submitted to Allah. So from amongst the Israelites, it's called the Christians, are believers. Allah called them believers, right? Amongst the other nations as well. And imagine the 120-some thousand prophets that were sent to earth. And Allah said, this is, this is beautiful uh, law of Allah. Allah says, there's no way we're going to punish anyone, any nation, any community without sending a prophet. But sending a prophet means people heard him and understood him. <coughs> because what about someone now who might have heard the prophet Muhammad but didn't understand him? And the message was not communicated well to him. And his circumstances were such that his mind doesn't understand. He's traumatized in life. He's uh, psychologically uh, challenged. What does he do? Allah says, mm hmm, I'm gonna put you in the hellfire. Allah's so above that. It is us who judge people this way. That's why Allah says, leave the judging to me. So there are people, not only before Prophet Muhammad who are Muslim, who are going to Jannah, tons of them, incalculable in numbers, but there are people who might actually be professing disbelief, who are actually probably going to Jannah before you and me. Allah knows, right? That's why it's Allah who. He's the judge, as I said, who, who knows the ins and outs of people's lives internally and externally and can judge accordingly. We fail because we can only see the surface. So one of the worst things we can do, for example, is say, oh, oh somebody such and such is going to such, and, to such and such destination. He is not Muslim. She is not. How do we know? Like, only Allah knows. Of course, there are times when somebody is so like, explicit in their disbelief, this corruption. Of course, that's, like, yeah. That's evident what this person is doing and what they're professing and their circumstances. But, you know, Allah says, leave all of that to me ultimately. I'm going to go to that. And then I'll put this misunderstanding was explained in this uh, surah about what we think if we do something good or if we do right. something bad. 
when he said, even if you kill somebody, you harm yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this is usually you think if you do it's something good, you right. do something good to somebody else, or if you kill even somebody, you harm this man or woman. But uh, the fact is, you harm yourself. Absolutely. This is a beautiful law of Allah, isn't it? Everything chases us. That's why even in Dhand in Arabic, I mentioned this before, Dhand in Arabic, one of the ways to, to understand a concept in Islam is to look at it linguist, linguistically. So then shares um, the root word with the word dhana, which means tail. It chases you. It never leaves you. You brought it onto yourself. And it's going to chase you until you cut it off. So, but like Musa killed someone. He harmed himself. So what does he say? to nafsi. I actually, he said, I wronged, of course he wronged the other person, but he ultimately also wronged himself, did what's called an injustice, wrong to myself. So how do I cut off that tail? By asking Allah for forgiveness and restoring the rights back. It's not enough to just say, Allah forgive me, but I took money and I'm going to give it back. But Allah forgive me. No. You've got to restore the right back within the means possible. <coughs> Only then will Allah now free someone up from that oppression against the self. But it's ultimately a wrong injustice against us all. Shabazz, I'm going to come back to you after, inshallah. So, uh, mix it up, inshallah. I'm going back to the presentation about the prophecy exam. So, my thought on that chapter is they all are linked. If you look up for the beginning, Adam and Ibrahim and Noah, if you could look at, we have a good example, if you look at the matter of Asa, Master Asa, Haram. So there are different locations about uh, uh, Islam again, like you said, they all are Muslim for the people. The purpose of that, I'm Arabica. They all have a mission to say, I'm Arabica, don't worship another one. They both have the same link uh, to pray, pray. Allah is the Arabica, he's the only one we have to worship. They all have the same mission. They continue until they are soon die. This is the link, Arabica. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. It is, you know, and ultimately Prophet Muhammad came, started the mission within that geography. But just keep in mind, like the ultimate thing that Islam is about is this deep theological, deeply seated belief in the oneness of Allah right? And that Allah ultimately sent these messengers, that there is a hereafter. I think the five tenets of faith. It's really what makes someone Muslim, really, mm-hmm. right? And then they profess La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. It's encompassing. It's an all-encompassing, beautiful message. That's what makes somebody Muslim. Before the time of Prophet Muhammad, clearly you cannot say Muhammad, right? That's really what it is. And the Shia is more different, but they're Muslim. In the in the in the language of Allah Azza wa Jalla, they all they all are. Muslim, you say, Allah is in the heart. I don't pray and all that stuff and. That, you know, they say that's you know, so exactly, you know, absolutely. My heart, and I don't pray. I said, No, it's true, you to go through the action, absolutely. That's true. However, you know, our faith is beautiful, our faith is for everyone, meaning we, people have different capacities. Devotional acts are essential, that's why I call them pillars of Islam. It's like when the pillars are destroyed, faith starts to actually get eroded. That's what people do not understand. So, it's enough, not enough, is just like say, I believe. But what I'm trying to say is that the judging is on Allah. If somebody says that Allah Muslim, not up to me to say, well, he doesn't pray, he doesn't fast, he's, no, you know, I'm here, I should help him or her. 
right? Get better. But my point is, because they're explicit hadith, and this is not an invitation to let go of the devotional acts because we get in trouble. And how do we even guarantee that our hearts will be healthy? And stay on the faith when we leave the devotional acts, the prayers and the fasting. Allah prescribed them. They're not random. They're not for us to say, I'm not going to do them. I don't feel like it. That's not something that Allah likes, and, and it's a major sin. There's no doubt about it. And there are consequences on us as well. But my point is that, about this, is that there are explicit hadiths where the Prophet you know, was asked about somebody just sincerely saying, La ilaha illallah, he says, in Jannah. In Jannah, right? That's the, the declaration of Allah Azza wa Allah knows their circumstances and lives, what they did or didn't do, but just that by itself, if it's sincere in the heart, it's a ticket to Jannah. Explicit hadiths on it. Not an invitation against say, don't pray, don't fast. No, that gets somebody in trouble with Allah Azza wa But Allah is the one who knows. Right. So I'm going to come back. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, I think if, if I, you know, look, look at this, uh, how the Allah has destroyed Pharaoh's 300 year of rule. Seeing all those things, I'm coming back to the structure of uh, Karun. Right. Karun is, it's not only a story, it's a phenomenon. Yes. If you look yeah. at that over the history, you will see many Karuns. And even if you look at right now, you will find many structures of Karuns. We do? Yes. So Karun, after seeing the demise of Pharaoh, he could not change. I mean, he was the That's first true. That's a good point. Musa he was the relative of Musa So, so from this this little story about that, how he connected in that way, we have so many lessons to learn in that regard. I'm gonna give you one thing that he was swallowed by the earth. So Allah could have said, okay, he has a massive amount of wealth. He could have given that wealth to Israelites, okay, to be, to be, you know, well off in that way. But Allah didn't do that. Allah wanted to show that, that I am the one who give the wealth and I'm the one who take it away. If nobody else is in there, it's for me. All those things, Karun got it from Allah and he misused it. There are so many lessons to learn about his character yeah. in that way. But you, you have to look at the wisdom of Allah in that regard. That I am the one who, you know, given that massive wealth to Karun, and I'm the one who can take it away. Or not only Karun, to anybody. Beautiful, beautiful points. Eh? You, you hit on a lot of key points. The, 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 some of the ones that at least I've been reflecting on now is, is number one. He couldn't see. Yeah. It, it, remember, this is us. It Does everybody's going to see this? Some people might read this story, might extract nothing from it. It's a gift of Allah. That the heart doesn't become blinded. That's why devotional acts are important. They open the heart. Allah says, do this and I'll open your heart. But don't, you know, um, Take yourself out, so to speak, by not following the path because you're in trouble. The heart becomes blind. Oppression and sin, what it does is accumulate enough, um, as the Prophet described, in the dark spots on the heart until it becomes blind. That Arun is with Musa, sees what happens, and cannot learn, and repeats it. It's tragic that one of the worst things that can happen with a human being is lack of humility to learn, to say, I have all the answers. 
because we can become our worst enemy with our own behavior and destroy ourselves. Number two about this wealth, not only does Allah say, I'm going to give it, take it away, because by, by the way, Qarun's um, fatal flaw is that he's arrogant, but he, he said, I earned it. Yeah, yeah. They told him, it's Allah, I said, no, I did it. So Allah take him out. Allah does not tolerate arrogance, pride, and corruption. That's the worst with Allah. But you know what's interesting? Oftentimes we say this, for example, mm -hmm. uh, only if Allah can give me this. Only if Allah can give me that, I'll become better. Oh, if the guy got, got destroyed, only if Allah just left the wealth. Because we're poor, and now we can use this. Allah says, no, 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 it doesn't happen in the way you think. Meaning that you think it's the wealth that is going to make you better? I'm not even going to give you access to it. Because we, does that make sense? So we oftentimes think that this is the means. We need these resources. We need this wealth for these outcomes. Allah says it doesn't happen the way you think. So I'm not going to even make you access this wealth. And you're still being tested. So his, his condition of the heart is yeah. that, what, that he was worthless. The believer, he, he, he says he follows the, the, the Musa but his heart was not in it was the when heart. the Sharia came to give his zakah, which was a 0.1%, one dirham out of 1,000, mm. one sheep out of 1,000, he refused. Wow. He said, this is nonsense. I'm not going to do that. Right. Being a rich, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. But he was, you know, saying, believe in Musa, but I think his action, his heart, wasn't it did. Not only that, he was greedy of the money, he's also greedy of the fame. He wanted to make sure that why Musa Islam and Harun Islam, his people are popular. They are popular yeah. prophets. And he wanted that popularity, so he slandered mm. in a you know in a big gathering in that way. That's where the the Allah punished him. <coughs> And to make him also a lesson. That's right. And there's still people don't learn. That's the yes, fascinating thing. Let's inshallah wrap up. This is the Shabbat. inshallah, let's wrap with this. Mr. Bro, glad you're back. Um, so you talked about in the beginning, like us having our own firams in our life, not just in the political realm, but in the personal mm -hmm. level. And I kind of wanted to build on that a little on a different angle. Um, you didn't get to this part of the story, but one of the most interesting, in my opinion, one of the interesting parts of the narrative with Sayyidina Musa والسلام, was what Allah commanded him to, to do when he first met Fir'aun. So let me just build up. So who, what did Fir'aun do? I mean, this is a man who killed newborn babies at their mother's teeth. He executed his own wife by dropping a boulder on her and then he said he was Allah, right? Basically, He's, you know, if this was anybody else, we would we would say this person does not deserve any kindness or sympathy. But what does Allah say in the Quran? When you meet him, speak kindly and gently. And that's a very interesting response to someone so evil. And it kind of gives a blueprint for how we have to deal with the so-called Fir'auns in our life. Unfortunately, though, because we're mashallah super Muslims and we have to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. What do people do? They overreact and they end up acting like Fir'auns to stop their own Fir'aun, which probably isn't even that bad. They just kind of overreact, you know? It's a great point. Great so, point. The wisdom is mandated. I mean, Allah said, 
He says, listen, even the whole concept, I'm going to dedicate, I was going to dedicate a khutbah on this whole concept of nasiha. Nasiha yes. is giving advice. It's a deep concept in Islam. It's all about the ends. We can react without understanding ends. Like, he says, if you intend good for someone, seek out the best ways to convince them. So the, the gentle talk also includes wise talk of understanding Shabbos, Shabbos understanding tarif and what ticks with me, and what clicks and what doesn't. And avoiding the things that can make things worse and saying the things that are, that, that have a chance of changing a heart, regardless of the outcome. So my point is, a whole methodology to it, not just emotional reactions, because you need to be concerned with the ends. No, and honestly, you so, have to give people benefit of the doubt too. Yeah, you know, yeah, like absolutely. Saad and Aisha aren't like smoking weed or like <coughs> drinking yeah. alcohol because they hate Islam or they want to destroy their religion. So true. It's just you know, so pressure true. or whatever, so, and you have to be. And I want to differentiate here in the the normal day to day life circumstances. We really need to be embarking upon this. There are times though. And I've seen like discussions amongst Muslims, especially on social media, where they're trying to evaluate, you know, different mm. oh, interpret or yeah. comments on different things that happen. People go to extremes all the time. Either we're gonna bash, condemn, blah, blah, yeah. blah, or they go to the extremes like, no, it's all good. You don't know what they mean. I'm like, sometimes people commit heinous things. Yeah, of course. Support oppressors. You know, tyrants legitimize them, <clears throat> outwardly call for things that are subhanAllah contravene yeah. the ethics and the morals of, that we all agree to. And then we still say, oh, I don't know, <laughs> like, no, yeah. no, no. If, if we get to a point where justice is going to be called injustice and injustice is going to be called justice and we think that's okay, that's not okay. So yeah. My point is differentiating also because there are people who stop short of now calling the wrong wrong in the name of saying, well, give them... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there are times when it's so outward and consistent and it's a pattern of destructive behavior that someone that wisdom at times needs for Chavez to stand up to say, enough of that. You've gone too far. Maybe I need to be shaken. My point is that's still wisdom and it still requires calm. But we need to assess it as such. But barakallah, beautiful point. Um, so Zakwala Khairat, inshaAllah, alhamdulillah, it's been a blessing of Allah Azza wa and inshaAllah we'll pick up, well actually next week, just quickly, um, overview of what we're doing. So um, this is the third day of the Hijjah, it's a total of 10 days. So Saturday will be Arafah, inshaAllah, please fast. Uh, if nothing else in the year, just fast this <coughs> day. Um, it's a day of standing on the Mount of Arafah. All the hujaj are making dua, Allah gives us a chance to fast that day. And the Prophet says expiation of sins of the year before and the year after. Why? Because Allah cares for us. And he wants to prepare us for next year. So we feel good, right? It's like another Ramadan coming, coming our way. One day. That's that day, inshallah. We're going to have Qiyam here. 3.15 a.m. Saturday morning, inshallah. Short, very short, inshallah. 35, 40 minutes, inshallah. Uh, followed by Witr, inshallah, and then we'll have Suhoor together. And then pray Fajr. And then we'll have Potluck Iftar, Saturday night, inshallah, right here in the Masjid. Uh, and then, inshallah, Sunday morning, wake up for Eid, inshallah, Eid al Adha, great occasion, inshallah. Two prayers. Uh, the formal prayer itself starts at 8 and 10, respectively. 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., as usual. 
The Kabirs begin at 7.30 and 9.30. So choose, inshallah, whichever khutbah you want to, or salah you want to come to, inshallah, bring your family. Um, and uh, anything else that I missed? Announcements? Anything else? That's it. Barakallahu feekum, inshallah. Join us, inshallah, for breakfast and further discussion. Inshallah, see you, inshallah, in a few days. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi May Allah help guide us, inshallah, strengthen us and heal our hearts. And may Allah make us among the wise who learn and the humble who are guided by Allah Azza wa Jalla. May Allah make us among those who spread good on this earth. And may Allah purify our intentions and, and, and make us among His best of servants in these blessed days of the Hajjah. Allahumma ameen, Allahumma ameen. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa Thank <clears throat> you.